Um, but anyway, today we're, we're going to be talking about a topic uh, when you look at, I, I do this all the time, and I make fun of myself because I used to make fun of my youth pastor for putting his podium off to the side in youth group, and now here I am 10 years later and I do the same thing he did. But anyway, um, we're going to be talking about a topic today that uh, is, when, when you think about it, it's, it's, it, it was <laughs> a letter in the Bible that was written you know, 2,000 years ago, but it is so very obviously needed today, right? Uh, just think about, okay, our, our world today, and, you know, I was talking to one of the teenagers about all the stuff on Twitter and hashtags, right? Um, and, and fake news, right? That's a trending topic. When I say fake news, everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? And, and these things that are fake, but it's funny because in our, our culture today, right, we, we, fall for fake news sometimes, but also we kind of like, we want to throw in these, these fake and, and uh, we put ourselves in these environments that aren't real, right? Virtual reality and all of these things are like gaming and, and they're just huge, right? It's a huge topic. It's a huge industry. Uh, if you did any Amazon Black Friday shopping, right, they were really pushing their augmented reality, you know, things in their phone apps and all of that. Do you guys know what augmented reality is? Some of you don't know. Some of you do. You take your phone out and use your phone's camera to actually see how this couch on Amazon will look in the corner of my living room or, you know, or where, let me put this lamp over here, see if it matches and where, how will it fit? And so we've got all of these things that are, that are fake. And then we, we throw in, you know, stories that, that come out in the news and we, we, we just kind of are saturated with this stuff that's just not real. And sometimes it kind of gets us wondering, you know, well, what is real? What, what even is real today? Um, and this is a topic that John wrote about, um, and it's, it's in our Bible. What's real? Uh, open your Bibles to the book of 1 John. This is where I was. Uh, I, I got to speak in chapel at Wayne Christian. Um, and as I was preparing, I had planned a different message for uh, here, um, knowing I was speaking here, but as I got into the study of this, uh, I just felt led. I should go ahead and, and share this with you all as well. Um, so here we're in the book of 1 John, and John, he, he's really answering this question. You see it on the screen, what's real? What's real? But let's get a little background so that we understand kind of where his readers, what mindset they were in, okay? So this was written, you can, you can read up on kind of the background of it, but it was, you know, it was around 85 to 90 A.D. that this was written, okay? It was written by John the Apostle, okay? The disciple who Jesus loved, right? He's written the, the Gospel of John, and we, we can read that account. Um, he was the youngest, we're, we're told, of all of the disciples. Uh, when you look at different uh, aspects, you can kind of deduce all of the disciples were teenagers, except for Peter, when they were following Jesus. And so John, being the youngest, was probably in that 13, 14 range when he was following Jesus. So all of these things, when you read the Gospels and the, the accounts of Jesus and you know, his miracles and his teaching and his death and resurrection, all of these John experienced as a teenager. And then he experienced all of this the, that we know in the book of Acts, right? The, the amazing growth of Christianity, the persecution from the Jews, we know from history, then the persecution by the Romans and um, all of these things that happened. And now John uh, has left Jerusalem 
after its destruction in 70 AD, and he is now in Ephesus. And he is, you know, one of the leaders, he's the elder there, obviously as a, an apostle, he would have had a lead role there in Ephesus. Um, he was their pastor. Uh, he was old, right? Um, he had lived through all of this persecution, and there's probably this lull before things heat back up again. And, and as they're not experiencing this outward persecution, they're starting to get this inward strife that's happening in the church. And this letter was, was written, and, and it's a little weird. When you read Paul's letters, right, he says, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the saints who are at, and he, you know, he's writing a letter, and you know who it's from, who it's to, and you can do all these out. John doesn't start that way. You can look here, 1 John 1. It doesn't start that way. Um, my imagination, okay, this is Disclaimer, this is Pastor Nate's imagination. It's a little overreact, over, overactive. Uh, I'm imagining uh, him writing this to his own church. Okay, we know that it was then circulated around Asia Minor, right? Modern-day Turkey and all of these other churches. And obviously, it's inspired. We have it in the Scriptures as part of the, the completed canon here. Um, but John, he's writing this letter, and I imagine he wrote it to his own church. He may have even read it. Okay. Have you guys ever had a pastor write a letter to the church and then read it in front of you? I've, I've seen pastors do that. I've seen um, pastors do that when they couldn't be there. Uh, and one of the previous churches I was in, uh, a pastor was sick on a very important Sunday. And so he wrote a letter and had me read it to the church um, as, as his youth pastor there. And so I was able to, to read that letter. And it's kind of got this personal feel, but it's, it's very you know, to the point and, and specific. I'm trying to communicate a message. And that's kind of the way I see the letter of 1 John. Um, again, this is my imagination, kind of going a little bit. Um, but one of the things he answers is this question here, what's real? And the problem was inside the church, there are a bunch of different heresies that were creeping up inside the church. Um, there are these different things, teachings. And then it says people were actually leaving the church and creating their own congregations, their own sects where they were teaching these false teachings and kind of putting it under the umbrella of Christianity, even though it was not true to Christianity. Um, and we could go into all of the different things from Gnosticism. If you've been around churches and, and they're, they're explaining 1 John, they'll normally get into Gnosticism or they get into some of these other heresies that were being taught at that time that were starting to really take root in the church. But one of the things when I was studying this week that... that um, was brought out in, in one of the commentaries was the fact that you don't really see John take it from a negative standpoint. Like he doesn't point at them and say, hey, these Gnostics, they believe this, this is wrong, this is why. He doesn't do that. What he does is he focuses on in a positive light. He says, look, we know these things. And he kind of shores up the, the truth. And that's the angle he goes at. So all of these people in his church... I'm imagining, are kind of looking at each other and they're seeing so-and-so left the church and they're teaching something different. And then this group of people left the church and they're teaching something different. And then they're left here sitting like, well, what's even real? They're saying that one of the, the Gnostic teachings, Jesus wasn't even really a person, he was a spirit. Or, you know, Jesus wasn't the Messiah, the spirit of the Messiah came upon him, right? These are kind of variations in that Gnosticism. And they're sitting there they're saying, what's real? And so with that question in mind, John writes this letter. 
And this is what he says. Look, 1 John 1, starting in verse 1. I think I got these up here too. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So when we're reading through this with this question in mind, what's real? What's real? This is the question the, the people are asking John, okay, figuratively. I don't know. Maybe somebody actually did walk up and say, what's even real anymore? In Greek, not in English. Um, but they would ask this question. And so John starts off, and, and in that first paragraph, this first paragraph, he's starting off, he jumps right into it, and he says, you know what? Want to know what's real? You want to know what's real? Well, first of all, Jesus is real. Every time I was studying this, I kept had the, the cantata song, Christmas is real. No. Um, and so Jessica had to deal with that. I would come home and had, she's like, why are you singing Christmas songs? The Bible. Um, so Jesus is real. This is right where he starts. Look at verse 1 again. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes and we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Like I said, one of these heresies was, was about, uh, you know, the Gnosticism and there's the, you know, they, they separated the physical from the spiritual and physical things are bad and spiritual is real and, and it was all messed up. And so they, they kind of tried to take that and, you know, mix it with some other things and the, you know, the, the higher knowledge and all of this stuff in there. And so John is coming straight up and he starts off, look, you want to know what's real? Jesus is real. Well, how does John know that? He says he was there, Right. Again, he kind of says, from the beginning, which makes our minds go back to, right, Genesis, in the beginning, right, or the beginning of John, he starts off, in the beginning was the Word. He's kind of putting all these things together. You know, the, Christ was in the beginning. He's eternal. And even though he's God and he's eternal, John says, we heard him, we saw him, we touched him. You can kind of think of some of the things that John went through, right? John was there at the crucifixion. He was there. He saw Jesus bleeding and dying. When you read through some of the accounts in John, you see he was actually there through the trials and, and kind of had a more up-close 
look of what was going on with the, the trials of Jesus and the torture that he went through. He was there. He saw Jesus bleed and die. So he knows Jesus is real, right? He's not some spirit that came down. Jesus is real. John was at the crucifixion. Uh, he saw the empty tomb, right? The next chapter, John 20, John runs with Peter and sees the empty tomb. He was there. He saw it. He knows that it's true. He was there. John is an eyewitness. He saw the empty tomb. John ate breakfast with Jesus. Right? Jesus is there, and uh, there's you know, multiple accounts of the interactions after the resurrection. But this is one where, where Jesus meets them. They're out fishing, and then they come in. Um, and, and once they come in, right, Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. And it says Jesus is there with the fish over the fire. And he has breakfast with the disciples. The focus of the passage is on you know, Peter's interaction with Jesus and the, the, you know, going back to the time he denied Jesus three times and all of that. But John was right there. Verse 20, it shows that John was, was there in that conversation with everything going on. So John knew that Jesus was real. John knew Jesus died and rose again, and all of that was true. When you think of the things that, um, that Paul wrote, you can go to 1 Corinthians 15, right? It's the resurrection chapter. And we see there, as, as Paul is writing to them, uh, to the Corinthians, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to, to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Here's the thing, guys. People all over the world today want to discredit Christianity in some way or another. They want to do that. They want to discredit us. They want to discredit what we believe, discredit the Bible, whatever. But here's something. We can, we can draw a line in the sand and say, no, Jesus is real. Right? And they'll, they'll, most people will believe, okay, historically, yes, Jesus existed, right? He's a prophet, he's a teacher, whatever. But here we have eyewitness accounts. John seeing Jesus die, seeing the empty tomb, seeing with him, the resurrected Jesus, eating with him, being around eyewitness accounts. We've got here 500 people at one time, it's recorded, that they all saw the resurrected Jesus, Right? We know Jesus is real. We know Jesus rose from the dead. And this is something you're going to come across if you're out there sharing your faith, right, which we're commanded to do. People will come up and, and make comments about Jesus and whether he's real or not, whether he really died, whether he really rose again. And this is where we need to be ready, right, to defend our faith. If you're not sure, come to Sunday night's apologetics conference or uh, class with Tyson, or hand them one of those cards, truelife.org, right? Free video answers to life's hard questions. We've been reminding you the last couple of weeks. There's, there's proof out there. And we need to be ready to defend it. But you know what? The best proof we have is in God's Word. We see these eyewitness accounts. John himself, who was there every step of the way, saw it happen. And he says, look, Jesus is real. So we can start there as a foundation. Jesus is real. But if Jesus is real, that means the gospel is real. 
If Jesus is real, that means the gospel is real. The things he said, the things he did, because he died and rose again, that gives us hope in the gospel. Look at verse 2 here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. It says, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest, made known to us. This is the thing. We, we, we focus on the gospel. We focus on the resurrection. Later in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. Basically, if Jesus isn't real, if He didn't die on the cross and rise again three days later, close up your Bibles, go home, let's get to Golden Corral before everybody else because why are we even here? Right? But because Jesus is real, He really died, He really rose again, we can have hope in the gospel. We proclaim eternal life. Paul there earlier in 1 Corinthians, he says it's of first importance. This is the most important thing, guys. The gospel has to be real. And if the gospel is real, then we've got hope, right? We've got hope that we can share with the world because the gospel is real. We've got it. But if if we don't have that right then we don't have anything right. If we don't get the gospel right, then everything we're doing is useless. We can sing songs, we can feed the poor, we can pray, whatever. But if the gospel isn't real, if if the gospel isn't believed, right, then it hasn't changed our hearts. It hasn't done anything and it's useless, right? We We haven't, you know, everything we do here in church is useless without the gospel. That's what it's all about. The gospel. So Jesus is real. The gospel is real. And that means Christianity is real. Christianity is real. Think about this. Like I've said, everything we do here revolves around the gospel. That's what it's all about. That's what church is all about, is is the gospel. Look at verse 3 here in 1 John. It says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So because our Savior is real, we can come together and have fellowship with each other. We can have fellowship with one another. Because we have a relationship with Jesus, we can have a relationship with each other. Because of the gospel. Because Jesus is real. We come through this. This is a, a big thing that all works together. Jesus is real. That means the gospel is real. That means Christianity, what we do here in church, what we do in our lives outside of church, right? Our faith is real. And so we can have that wonderful fellowship with each other. I know I've shared this story here, and, and I shared it at Wayne Christian multiple times. They're probably uh, sick of hearing it. But when I was a missionary, and when you go on mission trips, those of you that have been on mission trips, you, you've experienced this too. You know this. Um, it's awesome to get around other believers that you have never met before and you have nothing in common with, right? It's cool when you go to another church in America, 
you know, and, and you, can, you can, you know, just strike up a conversation and, and you, you find connections because we have fellowship in Christ, right? And that's cool. But doing it in another, in another country and <laughs> through a language barrier, you know, you're, you're fellowshipping with someone that you would have nothing in common with otherwise. And you can have that connection with them because you have a connection to Christ. Because that's, I mean, think about it, us in this room. We may have certain things in common because we live in the same area and we, you know, like the same things or whatever. All of that's superficial to our connection we have in Christ. I was, when I was a missionary in, in Germany, we went over and took a bunch of students from the Bible college over to Poland to help them. They were, had plans to start a Bible college there. They had a camp, but they needed some land cleared, some work done on buildings. So we took a work group over, Right. Um, and it was real quick, jump on the Autobahn. It was brand new, like freshly paved for this big soccer tournament. And so they had built a road for it. That's how crazy they are about soccer over there. Um, but we get on there and, you know, we're driving, go over to Poland. We meet these people. And so there, there are some Americans who are missionaries. There are some German students, college students. Um, we went to Poland. And so there was American missionaries in Poland. Uh, there was Polish people, Polish workers. Um, and then there were also a couple of Russians that were in there with us. Um, and so there's this group of people, and we're all working together, and, and we're sharing this awesome time serving the Lord together. And, th- I mean, you could not have gotten a more diverse group of people. Um, you know, you had four different languages represented. You had, you know, different interests, different places that we were from. And we're all coming together, and we're serving God together because we have that relationship in Christ. And then we got to sit around the fire and roast kielbasa and sing songs worshiping our Savior, and we'd rotate which language we were singing in so that everybody had a turn, right? Uh, and it was fun, right? We had the same songs, they had the same tune, but I have no clue what you're saying because you're speaking Polish, right, or Russian. Um, and then the next day we went to church, and they had one of the American missionaries to Germany speak, so he was speaking in English. They had the, the Polish pastor translating uh, but then the Russians that were with us didn't understand either language, so they had a kid translating into Russian from, I'm not sure whether he was translating from Polish or English. It gave me a headache, okay? I was sitting in the back, and I'm hearing all these languages around my, you know, my head. Um, but we were able to come and sit in a building and worship and fellowship around God's Word because we all had a relationship with Jesus. So you think about it, when, when John says that... We're telling this, we're proclaiming this to you so you can have fellowship with us because our fellowship is with the Father, right? It's not that we really have anything in common. It's that we both have a relationship with Jesus, and that's what brings us together. That's what Christianity is about. It's not about coming to church on Sunday. It's not about dressing up in your Sunday best. It's not about singing these songs or having your traditions satisfied. It's about our relationship with Jesus, and those are the things that we can fellowship around. And so when the church is sitting there saying, what's real? John says, you want to know what's real? Let's cut through all of these things that we think our life is about, that we think church is about. Let's put a line in the sand. Jesus is real. The gospel is real. And so that means Christianity is real. That's what we're here for, is to have fellowship around the gospel. But then we go into this second paragraph, and he kind of answers a secondary question. 
They say, well, what's real? He said, you want to know what's real? Jesus is real. The gospel is real. Christianity is real. So that kind of leads us to another question. Are we real? So John says, you want to know if you're real. You want to know if you're really a believer. And he kind of has three points again. You want to know if you're real? Well, you have a relationship with Jesus, right? We kind of had already stated this. We have that fellowship in the church because of our relationship with the Father. Look at verse 5. It said, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. We say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. So he takes some, you know, basic logical steps here, okay? First of all, God is light, right? So God is light. That's the, the illustration for the, the perfection that God has, right? He is light, pure light. That's God. So if God is light, light by definition cannot have darkness. So then it follows that if we say we have fellowship with God and we live in darkness, then we're lying. It's basically what he lays out here. The real question he's throwing back at them is, does your, does your life line up to what you say is true? Does your life line up? What I love is the different illustrations in the Bible, in the New Testament, about the transfer that has taken place in our life at salvation. And you can go through, and we, we a lot of times, especially when we're talking to kids, which is, is totally okay, right? Because a four-year-old can't grasp a lot of these theological concepts, right? They're, they're four years old. They can grasp the gospel. But what happens at the moment of salvation, whether we really understand it or not, there's so many different things that happen. In Colossians, it says, um, Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, who's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Right? When we have a relationship with Jesus, we're transferred out of Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom. And He uses this here, this light and darkness. Right? You've got Satan's domain, the, the king of darkness, and we're part of His kingdom. If you've never accepted Christ as Savior, you're in Satan's kingdom. You're in darkness. Your life is in darkness spiritually, and you walk in darkness, right? You do the things that your nature, your sinful nature wants you to do. You're going that direction. But when we trust Christ as our Savior, it says we're transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. We're taken out of that kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of light. And so if we're, we're living in that kingdom of light, we shouldn't act like we're living in the kingdom of darkness still. And you can go through, there's, there's places all over the Bible that talk about this transfer. But the focus is on the faith we have in Jesus, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? We didn't do anything to transfer ourselves, 
right? We're not like Frodo in the Lord of the Rings running out of the kingdom of darkness and going, you know, right? Trying to sneak through and throw the ring into the Mordor. No, okay. Uh, That's not us. We're not doing anything ourselves. It's the faith we have in Jesus that He rescues us and makes that transfer possible. It's like if you're up on the edge of a cliff and you're falling off the edge and your friend reaches out and says, hey, grab my hand. You grab their hand and they pull you back and you're saved, right? You're rescued. You don't say, hey, look, I was really quick and grabbed your hand. No, you say, thank you for saving me, right? (laughs) You, You trusted your friend to save you because there was nothing you could do, so you just grabbed their hand and they pulled you back. That's one way we can look at what happened at salvation. Jesus reaches out his hand and he says, grab my hand, right? So we just grab it. We, we can't brag about how good we are at grabbing the hand. No, we're just thankful that Jesus saved us and transferred us. But here's the thing. We know, James writes, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. So your, your faith that trusts in Jesus will then lead you to obey Him and live the way He's called you to live. Uh, I was explaining it to the teenagers once, but the, the, the faith and repentance, right, uh, is really two sides of the same issue. Um, and, and you'll hear different people preach it differently um, and, and kind of hit one side harder than the other, but they're both there, right? We're saved by faith, but if we really trust Christ as our Savior, we'll repent of our sinful works. It's kind of like uh, if you've got a chair, right? The classic salvation illustration of faith. You've got a chair and you're going to sit in the chair because you're going to trust it to hold you up. Right? You don't come in and you look at the chair and make sure it's okay. Some of those chairs in the teen room, you have to check. But you check it, make sure it's okay, and then sit down. No, you, you trust in the chair and you just put your whole weight on the chair. But if you were to come up here and I say, Randall, go ahead and sit down in this chair. And he says, oh, that's a nice chair. I say, Randall, just go ahead and sit in it. He's like, no, it's good. I'm like, what, don't you trust it? He says, no, I trust the chair. I just, I, I'm not going to sit in it. Eventually, if we kept going over and over like that, a question might come in my mind of, does he really trust this chair? And it's kind of that way with our salvation. If we trust Jesus, we're going to put our faith in him and we're going to do the things he's told us to do. Because... Faith without works is dead. The works will follow our faith. But if we're sitting here in our churches and we're not doing what Jesus told us to do, and we're not living a life that lines up with what He wrote in His Word, you kind of have to start questioning, am I real? You're real if you've got a relationship with Jesus, and you can see that, the fruit of that, coming in your actions, right? Not that those actions save you, but it's the fruit of your faith being made evident to those around you. So you've got to ask yourself, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And then that would lead to a relationship with other believers. Look at me, I'm getting way behind on my PowerPoint. Do you have a relationship with other believers? So do you have a relationship with Jesus, but then do you have a relationship with other believers? Look at this, verse 7. It says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
And the blood of Jesus' His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So that walking in the light, living our life the way we're supposed to, we have that relationship with other believers who are walking in the light alongside us, right? That's what the church is. It's not a place you come, it's people that walk alongside you in your life. And if we're walking together in the light, then we have a relationship with each other. We have that fellowship. But you know, the the quickest way to lose someone's trust is to lie to them. The quickest way to lose someone's trust is to lie to them. And a lot of times we come to our churches... Right? And that's the way we see it. We come to church, not we are the church. And, and we lie to each other. We may not actually speak lies, but we act like we've got everything together. We like, act like our lives are all good and we're all upstanding Christian. I think it's interesting that right here when he says, we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Remember, our our relationship is based on the gospel. It's based on the forgiveness we have in Christ. Jesus' blood cleansed us from all sin. And so some, for some reason, we think we need to hide that we have a sin nature and that we, we sin sometimes, even as Christians. But we do, and we all know that. But then we, we come to church and we try and put a mask on and think that everything's okay, Right? But it's, it's, it's going to happen, guys. You're going to sin. You're going to sin against someone else in the church. Someone else in the church is going to sin against you. And if we focus on the sin instead of the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleansed us from all sin, then we're going to get upset. And, and the darkness, right, takes over parts of our lives instead of walking in the light. This is another thing, guys, is that light exposes the truth. It exposes the truth. Um, we, we tell our daughter, right, four-year-old, she's just starting to get, well, not just, she's been this way, but to, to the point where, you know, they, they try and hide things. Even if it's a mistake, they mess something up and then they try and hide it, right? Um, they, they do something wrong and they don't want to tell us. And we say, look, it's better for you to tell us than for us to find out. It's the same way in the church, too, right? Um, the light will expose the darkness. The light will expose the sin in our lives. So when we're around each other, walking together in light, those things that come up, the sins that happen, they're going to get exposed. So we need to know how to deal with them, right? And the the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ's Son cleanses us from all sin is the point we need to focus on, right? The forgiveness we have in Christ. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're going to sin. And so we need to forgive each other for those sins because we're forgiven by our Savior. I like to think of it like um, like lights on a Christmas tree. Um, When I have my Christmas tree, right? Does anybody still have their Christmas tree up? Anybody? You're leaving it up until next year? Anybody? No. Okay. Um, the Christmas tree's up, right? And you've got one little light on the Christmas tree. And they're, especially get you these LEDs, they're super bright, right? 
But when you get one light in the darkness, it, it makes a lot of light and pierces that darkness. Uh, but when you get a lot of lights all strung around the tree, right, it can light up the whole, whole living room. Uh, I like to, in the, when, during Christmas season, plug in the Christmas tree and have my devotion sitting next to the Christmas tree, and I don't turn on any of the other lights. And it's bright enough that I can read my Bible and write my quiet time and all that stuff. The church is kind of that way, right? You are one little light on this string of Christmas lights. And when we get together, the brightness is all around and it exposes the darkness, right? But we're also brighter together. We're brighter when we're living together and we're having that fellowship together. And it can chase away that darkness if we're living our lives in the light as those bright little Christmas lights shining. But, but the basis for that fellowship is being real with each other. A couple of weeks ago when Jeremy was here, uh, he, I don't know how many times he said that. We were kind of making jokes about him in the, uh, uh, in the youth group with the youth leaders about that. How many times did he say, all right, guys, we got to be real, right? But that's what it is, guys. We got to be real. We got to be real with each other. We're a family. The church is a family. We got to be real with each other. And that's the next point that John makes. He ends, verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, but look at verse 8. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. So we've got to be honest about sin. We've got to be honest about the sin in our lives. Right? I'm not saying you've got to go around telling everybody every sin you committed, right? but we've got to be real with each other, and we've got to be real with ourselves. The only way to get that forgiveness is to confess that sin, to restore that relationship. And so if we're honest about the sin, if we're honest with each other about our struggles, that's what the church is for to bear one another's burdens, to join with each other, to walk with each other, so that when you stumble, it can help you back up. All of these themes throughout Scripture about being together and the, the failings that we have as humans, right? We're not perfect. We know that. So we've got to be honest with each other, and we've got to be real. And so that way, when we, we live our lives... And we're honest about sin, but we're focused on that relationship we have with Jesus and the relationship we have with each other. We can be those lights in the world. It's, it's not a um, coincidence. Pastor Jeremy started a year off his, his big sermon on evangelism and sharing the gospel with people because that's what we're called to do. And in the teens, right, Sunday nights, we've been talking about getting on board with the cause of Christ, right? As the cause we should all be about is sharing the gospel. And so if we're focused together on what's real, Jesus is real, the gospel is real, Christianity is real, we need to ask ourselves, are we real? First of all, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because that's the basis for any of this. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And second, do you have a relationship with your fellow believers? Because you can't do this alone. 
It's like one little teeny tiny Christmas light by itself, right? Nobody decorates their house by putting a single Christmas light outside. If you do, let me know. But it's, it doesn't work that way. We're a Christmas tree, guys. We're not a Christmas light. Um, tweet that. Hashtag Christmas lights. Um, but we've got to be honest about sin, guys. The light will expose the sin in our lives. And that's the way God designed it. He doesn't want us to live in isolation. He doesn't want us to keep our faith to ourselves. Well, it's a personal thing. No, it's a community thing. It's a fellowship thing. And we're here to help each other because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. So if we're asking today, you know, what's real? What's real? Well, we know what's real because we've got God's Word that tells us what's real. The question is, do our lives line up with what we have written here? Do our lives line up with that? And if we're going to be real, then we've got to be real with each other. We've got to be real. We've got to be honest. Uh, there's an old, I say old, old Casting Crown song. Um, I said old when I was with the Wayne Christian kids. This is an old Casting Crown song about the stained glass masquerade, right? We come into church and we put on that, that mask. We've got to be honest with ourselves. Are we real? Do we have a relationship with Jesus? And then we've got to be honest with each other because that's where the strength of our fellowship comes from is in the gospel, working through all of us together when we have fellowship and we walk in the light together. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that we know that you're real. We know that you're our Savior who came as a baby, like we celebrated at Christmas time, lived that perfect, sinless life just to die for our sins. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that we have a church we can come to and have fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for a church that prioritizes the gospel and that we can together join the cause that you've laid out in front of us in sharing that light with the world. God, I just pray that uh, each one of us would, would be real with ourselves and be real with each other and that you would use this body of believers, this church, to shine your light in the darkness so that others can join with us in walking in the light and we can have that fellowship with each other. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen.